I want to talk to you about, uh, about my week and uh, something tragic that's happened here at Genesis Church. Uh, many of you know Cameron Sprinkle. Cameron was our worship leader up until the first of the year, uh, and Robin Lee. Robin uh, was our director of Next Gen Ministry, so she um, led our students and kids ministry across both campuses. And I want to tell you this week that Cameron and Robin resigned on Thursday as a result of an inappropriate personal relationship. And uh, it's been really difficult for me because... Uh, they're two of my best friends, and they work with me, and I pastor them, and there's just all kinds of levels of hurt and disappointment and despair. But I want to ask that you join me, join us in praying for them and for their families. Uh, they're going to need a lot of love and support in the weeks and months to come as they work towards uh, reconciliation and restoration. And I'm, I'm happy to tell you that both of them are working toward uh, reconciliation right now with their families. I know uh, some of you are probably upset to be hearing this from stage, like, why do you have to talk about it? Why don't you just cover it up? I think a lot of churches would just kind of sweep it under the rug, but uh, from the beginning, Genesis has been about authenticity and transparency, and we want to be authentic. We want to uh, let you know that we are all sinners. Um, some of you want all the details. Uh, we're not going to do that either. Uh, all of you who are just hearing this are probably pretty upset right now. Uh, I get it. Over the past couple of days, I've been hurt. I've been angry. I've been disappointed. I've been sad. Uh, all of those things and more. But this morning, um, this morning I woke up hopeful. And I woke up hopeful knowing that there is a good God who loves us very much and who uh, wants to use this in our lives. Um, but I want to just assure you there are no wrong feelings for this. Um, but there's also, there's no handbook. <laughs> there's no handbook for how we lead from this, okay? Uh, there's no handbook for this kind of thing. So here's what I want to say this. I want to say this about Robin and Cameron's ministry here. Their sin does not in any way diminish the impact of the ministry they've had here. That what was said to you from the stage, what was sung from the stage, what was told to your students and your kids is still true. That we serve the same God uh, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But the truth is that the effectiveness of their ministry in no way diminishes uh, the power of their sin either. Um, and so here's what I want to say, and we're just going to take a couple minutes. I want to do this, and then we'll take a couple minutes to reflect before we move on. But first, two things. First, I won't tolerate gossip about this. Uh, we cannot respond to their sin with sin of our own, with gossip and malice and slander. God has called us, and I'm asking you uh, to respond to their sin the same way that Jesus responds to our sin, uh, with grace and forgiveness and without condemnation. You know, in John 8, um, there's a group of teachers of the law and they catch a woman in adultery and they drag her out into the town square in front of Jesus and they want to stone her to death. The, the law says they can stone her to death. And Jesus uh, just kind of looks up and says, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And then as the men walk away one by one, he looks up at the woman and says, woman, do none of these condemn you? He says, then neither do I condemn you. And then he says, now go and leave your life of sin. None of us are in a position to cast any stones. Romans 8.1 says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, but know this, while there's no condemnation for Cameron or Robin for what they've done, uh, the heartbreaking reality is there are consequences. Uh, there are consequences for our sin, consequences for them consequences for their families, consequences for our church, 
And for many of you as friends, as people in their groups, as uh, people in their ministries. So we as a church are going to forgive Cameron and Robin the way that Christ forgave us. And uh, we understand and know for months and maybe years uh, that we have to live with consequences of their sin. But as a church, let's, you and me, let's look each other in the eye, determined to work toward forgiveness and redemption of marriages. So the second thing about that is this. One, let's don't gossip. Second thing is this. God is still faithful. That, that I still believe him when his word says that he can use all things for good. And make no mistake, this is not a good thing. <laughs> I don't want to even pretend that there's good in this. But I believe that good can come from it. I don't know how right now, and I don't understand uh, why, and maybe that's the question you're asking this morning, why, and it's hard to see how this can be used for good, but the truth is that like, sometimes we just have to lean into him even when we don't know what's going to happen, uh, even when we don't understand why, and maybe sometimes especially when we don't understand why. And so what I want to do, I just want to pray for us, and then... Um, Haley's going to sing a song that we can just use to reflect, and then we're going to move on with our service. So let's just pray together. God, as, uh, as your word says in Romans eight twenty eight, for I know that God uses all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And Lord, we just, we're trusting you with that today. Uh, we're trusting that you can use this uh, bad thing for good, what the, what the enemy meant for evil that you could use for good. Lord, uh, we don't see how from here and we don't know exactly how that's going to work, but what we're going to do instead is we're going to choose, even in these moments of uncertainty, we're going to choose to praise you. Uh, Even when our heart's hurting, we're going to praise you and uh, we thank you uh, that you allow us, uh, man, just, just your grace and your forgiveness for where we fall down. Lord, in this moment, I'm choosing to praise you and pray this in Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of Esther. The book of Esther is on page 344 in this Bible, if you don't have one with you. By the way, um, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to meet Haley Amatuzo. That's Michael's wife, and uh, she's pretty incredible. So, Um, if you walk, when you walked in, if you got a message notes card, I want to tell you that um, we're still preaching on the book of Esther, and the notes on that card, that's a great message but that's not the one we're going to talk about today. Uh, we are still going to talk about Esther, though. Um, I don't know why. A couple weeks ago, uh, we were planning to talk about Joshua today, uh, but for some reason, the Lord just turned us towards Esther, and again, I think he knew that this was a story that we needed to hear today. Um, but we're wrapping up our series called Courageous Faith. We've been looking at different <clears throat> people, different stories in the Old Testament, uh, stories of men and women who come face to face with seemingly insurmountable obstacles and somehow find the courage to rise to the occasion. And so today we're looking at the story of Esther. It's a really fantastic story. And um, something you'll notice in Esther, in fact, maybe you already know this. If you're a Bible trivia expert, you might already know this, uh, that the, in, the, in the whole book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned one time. 
Did you know that? That's the one uh, book in the Bible, I believe, where God is never mentioned in the book of Esther. It's true. You should read it. Read it this week. Um, But what we're going to find out is that even though God is not mentioned in the book, we see him hard at work behind the scenes. And in fact, if you want to write something down, if you've got that note card, you want to write something down, write this. Even when God is silent, he's sovereign. Even when God is silent, he's still sovereign. And he's going to use Esther, uh, who finds herself in the right place at the right time. Now, Esther was a, uh, a virtual unknown. She was an orphan. Uh, she had no real status. She had no legal rights. Um, she and her people, the nation of Israel, had been in exile. Uh, they were conquered by the Persian Empire and were living in exile. Actually, they were conquered by the Babylonian Empire, who was then conquered by the Persian Empire. They were living in the capital of Persia, and this story takes place around 483 B.C., so almost 500 years before Jesus comes, and the Jewish people have been in exile for uh, about 100 years. And uh, the truth is that God allowed them to be exiled because they turned away from him. They had a lot of idolatry and a lot of stubbornness in their life, and God allowed them to be uh, captured by a king named Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, and Babylon was taken over by the the Persian Empire. Persia was based in modern-day Iran, and at the time it was the largest empire that had ever inhabited the earth had the widest spread, the most people. Um, They were known for ruling by bureaucracy. The creation of uh, bureaucracy happened in Persia. So if you want to blame our government bureaucracy on somebody, blame Iran. Uh, That's the way that works. Uh, They had uh, kings over various regions. They were called satraps. And then the supreme ruler of the Persians, interestingly enough, because they had all these kings over different areas, they would call the supreme ruler of the Persian the king of kings. Does that sound familiar at all? Um, they were, the Persians were the first to build a system of roads, uh, but what the Persians were known best for uh, were their parties. And I know you already know this because chances are when you think Iran, you think party, right? I do. Um, but the Persians used to rail on the Greeks for not eating dessert. I mean, I love that about them. I would probably love these people, and they, they really liked wine. And in fact, a lot of research shows that the Persians, when they had a big decision to make, they would all get together and drink a lot of wine and then make a decision. And then in the morning, this is true, in the morning when they sobered up, they would decide if they were going to act on that decision or throw it away. And if they threw it away, I suppose they had to do it all over again. Probably threw a lot of decisions away. So it's no surprise then that the book of Esther opens with a party. King Xerxes, who's the king of King of Kings in Persia, was throwing himself a party. That takes some pride. Um, And it was a big party. It was six months long. Uh, If you get invited, by the way, if you ever get invited to a six-month-long party, you've got to bring a gift. Uh, Cards. A card's not going to cut it. You can't just stop at CVS on the way there. You've got to think about this, all right? And maybe make something. Uh, And so uh, it's one of those parties where the men all hung out with the king, and all the women went to a different part of the palace with the queen. uh, Queen was named Queen Vashti. During the seventh day of the sixth month is where our story starts. So it's pretty late in the party, okay? It's been going on for almost six months, five five months. Uh, We hear that King Xerxes gets uh, a little wasted, okay? And he calls for Queen Vashti to appear in front of him and his friends. In Esther 111, you see this. It says, uh, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and nobles, for she was lovely to look at. Now, scholars have differing opinions whether this means... uh, He called for her to appear unveiled, which would have been um, pretty uh, sensational anyway in Persia, or to appear in her altogether, wearing just her crown. 
but no matter what the case is, Queen Vashti says no. Good for her. She says no. She doesn't want to uh, display herself in front of the king and all his friends. But this embarrasses the king uh, in front of all of his friends, and, and so he's not sure what to do. And so the men who witness this situation step up to help him uh, determine what to do. And it's something like this, uh, king, bro, uh, you got to do something. Uh, you can't just let your wife treat you like that. I mean, it, it, it's okay. I mean, she's your wife, and well, that doesn't really bother me so much. But if my wife finds out that you've let the queen treat you like this, well, there's going to be chaos. And what if all the wives in all the king... Well, actually, this, I'm paraphrasing. This is what they say, Esther 1.19. Uh, Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Medea, which cannot be repealed, uh, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. And then when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all the vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. You see where the motivation comes from in this ruling, right? So uh, queen goes away, and Xerxes quickly realizes how lonely he is. He's depressed. He's pouting around the palace. He misses Vashti. And his servants try to cheer him up. But this time, instead of throwing a party they decide to throw a pageant. Hey, let's select a new, new queen uh, for the king. Uh, and so that's what they do. This is sort of a Miss Persia pageant, you know, and it's decided that Miss Persia will be the next queen. Now, enter Esther. This is where Esther comes in. Esther was an Israelite. Uh, she was a Jew raised by her cousin, a man by the name of Mordecai. Um, so again, orphan. Her parents were gone, dead probably. Uh, Mordecai is the cousin, older cousin, who was raising her as his own. Um, Mordecai happened to be working in the palace when he heard about this contest. And so Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you should enter this pageant. But then he tells her, no matter what you do, don't tell them that you're a Jew. You can't, you can't tell them that. They won't accept you. They won't like you for that. Now, um, it's at this point where the movie kind of turns PG-13. Uh, because I think it's important we understand how this contest works. Uh, this is not like Miss America, where you have an evening gown portion and a, maybe a swimsuit portion, and then the most beautiful gets selected. Uh, these women undergo six months of cosmetic treatments, uh, probably involved a strict diet of fruits and vegetables, um, and having the calluses scoured from their feet, being, uh, treat their skin being treated with oil, their hair being treated. And then when it was that contestant's turn, they would go in and spend the night with the king. That was part of the pageant. And that was the end of the road for them unless the king really liked her and then the king would call her back. Now, if you grew up in church and maybe you grew up hearing this story a lot, you've probably heard Esther held up as a picture of virtue. And in some ways she was. In some ways that's true. Uh, and she becomes that in our story. But let's not skim over this part of her life. She enters a sex contest for the chance to be married to a pagan king. Can we just accept that maybe she made a bad choice in that matter? Right? I mean, that was, that was it. That was what she said. Maybe she didn't have a choice, um, but she clearly went along with it. And clearly, she didn't tell anybody that she was Jewish. We see that later in the story, which meant she was silent about her faith in God. Certainly, that's sinful. But here's what I want you to see about all this. We, you and I, can end up in exactly the right place at exactly the wrong time for all the wrong reasons, or exactly the right place at exactly the right time for the wrong reasons. Through our mistakes, through our sin, we can end up right where God wants us. That God can redeem all of our mistakes, all of our sin, all of our disobedience for his glory. Even when God is silent, he's still sovereign. 
So Esther wins the pageant. She becomes the new queen of Persia. Persia. Pay attention to what's happening here. There's Esther, orphan, Jew, young woman, oppressed in all sorts of ways, and she's the brand new queen. She's the queen of Persia, and she has to be feeling pretty good about her life at this point. And then to top it all off, Mordecai uncovers this plot to assassinate the king and makes it known to Esther. Esther goes to the king, and she's all of a sudden the hero because Mordecai has helped her with that. She is winning, right? She is winning the queen game. There's no doubt about it. But then something else happens. Not too long after she assumes her role as queen, uh, one of the king's officials, an evil man by the name of Haman, uh, constructs a plan to destroy everyone in Persia who has genetic ties to the Jews. Um, What's happening is that Mordecai doesn't respect him. Mordecai works at the gate. Haman works in the palace. He's the king's number two guy. And uh, Mordecai doesn't respect him. And so Haman decides the easy way to get rid of him is just to come up with a plan that will end the people of Israel once and for all. Uh, now, remember, Xerxes doesn't know that Esther's a Jew. She's one of those people that uh, Haman wants to destroy. And Mordecai's a Jew. And Mordecai learns about this evil plot, and he lets Esther know about it. Now, Esther is in a dilemma. Now, you and I might look at this story from a distance and think, why, why is that a dilemma? Why is that a problem? She, she's the queen. She's got power. She's got influence. Can't she just like, walk into the king's office during the day and say something to the king? Uh, Can't she just give him the what for and demand that the decree be changed? Well, it didn't work like that. See, in Persia, remember the king was the king of kings. Uh, They viewed him in many ways like a god. And for a god to change his decree would have meant that God wasn't perfect to begin with, that the king wasn't perfect to begin with. That was unheard of. And so uh, this decree, which the decree was, by the way, genocide. I'm going to decree genocide for Israel. uh, was basically irreversible. Once the king signed it, there was nothing he could do. Uh, And so uh, there's this other side to this dilemma too. Esther couldn't just walk in on the king. Uh, The king had a rule. uh, Even the queen was not allowed to enter the king's chambers without permission. And so if she walked in, it could mean death for her. If the king of Persia didn't extend the royal scepter uh, to a person, basically it was off with her head. So, I mean, try to feel the weight of this problem for Esther. She's got this piece of information that she's sure the king wants to know but she can't really approach him with it. And even if she does, she can't tell him her role in it because she doesn't want him to know that she's Jewish. And the king hasn't exactly proven to be nice to women in the past. Remember Queen Vashti? We don't know where she is. But if she does nothing, she might survive, but her people could die. So maybe you can relate to being between a rock and a hard place. I mean, maybe it's not life or death for you, but we all have times where we end up with no easy answers, right? That uh, It's a relationship that you're in and your head knows it needs to end, but your heart wants it to go on. Maybe for you, it's a job. Like you're doing something unethical and you know that, but if you stop, you may not have a job anymore and how are you gonna feed your family? And doesn't the Bible say it's uh, a man's job to take care of his family? Maybe it's a financial issue. You're making one bad decision after another and you're caught up in payday loans or in some other kind of uh, financial uh, merry-go-round, but you can't stop because you made a bad decision a long time ago and the cycle just continues and continues and continues. Or maybe it's a friend of yours. I mean, you really want to tell your friend where she's going wrong, and, but you're so afraid that's going to end the friendship. I mean, we all have this dilemma sometimes, right, where we don't know the best answer. Can you feel the weight? We can feel what Esther must be feeling. Well, all this drama is leading us right up to Esther's moment. 
And again, even though God may not be mentioned in the entire story, he is present and he's paying attention and he's got his Esther in exactly the right place at the right time. Even when God is silent, he's still sovereign. All right, so Mordecai then starts sending message to Esther. He tells her how much money Haman is paying into the fund to make this happen. He knows all the details. Uh, he uh, sends her a copy of the edict and he says, you've got to go see the king and get this stopped. And our hero, Esther, is not really so heroic at first. Check out her response in Esther 4.11. You can skip ahead a couple chapters. She says this, All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, but they are to be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go see the king. You hear the fear? And can you see the hesitation in her voice? It's at this point for Esther and for all of us that we need to be able to call on that courageous faith. And in this moment for Esther, her courage comes from her cousin's response. Uh, The words that Mordecai sends back to her are probably the most quoted words uh, in the book of Esther. And they may be exactly what you need to hear today uh, when you think about your dilemma, the situation that you find yourself in when you don't know what to do. Esther 4.13 He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Verse 14. But for if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your family and your father's family will perish. And he says this. And who knows, but that you have have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai basically says, don't you see? This is not a coincidence. You are in exactly the right place at exactly the right time to do something, to make a difference. Now, as Lady Macbeth would have said, screw your courage to the sticking place and you shall not fail. In other words, this is exactly the time, Esther, when you need courageous faith. He says, hey, (laughs) don't miss this. I didn't think about this. Don't miss this. He says, God's purposes are gonna be carried out no matter what. Did you hear that in Mordecai's words? He says, no matter what happens, the Jews are going to be saved. He believes that God is true to his promises. But he says, hey, you've got a chance to be the one that makes this happen. You just got to have courageous faith. Man, don't you find yourself sometimes in a place where we need to act. And if we don't act, there's going to be consequences. And they will be severe. And sometimes we may be in that place even because of our sin, our mistakes, our failures. Like, why would God choose to let use me in this moment when my sin is what brought me here? But we serve a mighty God. You know that this morning? We serve a mighty God. And even when we don't see him and even when we don't hear him, he's here, he's watching, he's paying attention, and he's big enough to use you who you are and where you are to fulfill his purposes and for his good. But wait, didn't Esther get there because she made some bad choices? Yeah, but God still used her. God's still gonna use her somewhere along the way and we don't know where. Esther becomes a godly woman. She becomes a woman who wants to carry out God's purposes and we're about to see her put everybody else's needs ahead of her own needs. I mean it when I say that God can use anyone. He can use any situation. He can use any mistake in our lives. God can take any person, any sin, any misstep, any disobedience, any unfortunate choice, any hurt, any deception. He can take anything, anything, all things, and use them for our good and for his glory. That's what Romans 8.28 says. And I know 
that God can use all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. So wherever you find yourself today, I want you to know God in his sovereignty has allowed you to be where you are today. You are where you are because God has not taken you away from that. And and the point is not how you got there, but what you do now. And who knows, but that you have come to your position for such a time as this. That's the challenge, and Esther got it. Look at how she responds in verse 15, Esther 4.15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I want you to notice that Esther's response starts with prayer, with prayer and fasting. That's where she starts. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even, if it's, even though it's against the law. And look at this. And if I perish, I perish. <laughs> I can't read this line without thinking of Rocky Four. If he dies, he dies. <laughs> really quickly, here's the rest of the story. Man, I wish this was a three-week series about Esther and not one message, okay? Um, God uses Esther's bravery and obedience to rescue Israel. Uh, the king changes his mind. Haman's plan backfires. He ends up being hanged on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. Uh, irony, right? Uh, then two guys named Nehemiah and Ezra come along and they lead the Jews uh, back to Israel. Then a few generations later, another Jewish girl, a descendant of one of these people that Esther saves, gives birth to a boy named Jesus who will save the whole world. The end. What a story. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? And sometimes that's where it stops for us. It's an incredible story. But, but I want you to realize, I, I sometimes even make this mistake of calling these people characters in the Bible. They're not characters. They're real people. These are people. These are actual documented things that have happened that were around hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And, and sometimes we hear this story and we go, well, that's all it is. It's just a story. There's really nothing for me to learn here. It has no impact on my life today. But in the story of Esther, I think we can look at her response to Mordecai's challenge and we can see how her courageous faith made a difference for an entire generation of people, entire nation of people. I mean, it's true for Esther and it's true in your life now. Who knows, but that you have come to your position for just such a time as this. Right now, her time was now. Her opportunity for courageous faith was now and the same could be true for you. What does God have for you? Where do you need courageous faith today? Maybe you're reeling right now. Maybe this announcement this morning's got you reeling and you're feeling the need to help out. I've had a couple, I've had a ton of people text me. By the way, I, I hope you'll understand if I turn off my phone this afternoon. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of people text and they say, how can I help? And I say, pray. And they say, okay, yeah, I'll pray. But, but besides that, like, how can I help? Well, if that's you, if you're feeling called to that, let me tell you a couple things. Um, if you've ever felt called to work with students, we could use you. Uh, we've got a bunch of high school and middle school students who would love to have uh, a responsible adult in their lives. Uh, we might need people in the office. Uh, we might need people in a lot of other places. Uh, I'll let you know as the weeks go on. But maybe it's not this. Maybe it's something else. Maybe there's, you walked in with something. Uh, the Lord told me, reminded me this morning that there are a lot of people that walk into this room today with a lot of their own hurt, a lot of their own baggage, a lot of their own guilt. And uh, this up here that we've talked about doesn't really affect you very much. And so for you, maybe it's something else. You need to end a relationship. You need to leave your job and find a new one. You need to speak truth to a friend. It could be that you are where you are for such a time as this. Now, the other danger we face with all these Old Testament stories is to hold these people up as examples. I mean, while seeing Esther as an example might inspire you, it can't build courage in you. 
Anytime that we put our hope in people other than Jesus Christ, we're going to be let down. And if we put our hope in Esther, we're going to be let down. If we only look at Bible characters and Bible people as examples, it can discourage you because you can never measure up. I mean, are you going to be Esther and in the face of death? Maybe, but maybe not. But I want you to know that Esther isn't really an example. She's a signpost. She, she points us to Jesus. Esther may have lived in a palace, but Jesus lived in the ultimate palace. And he left that palace for us. He turned his back on heaven so that he could save you. John 1 says that to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. That you and I, when we made Christ the center of our life, if you've done that, if you've made that decision, that Jesus gave you the right to be a child of God with all of the rights that come with that. See, I think we have this need to turn Bible characters into examples because we still misunderstand the point of the Bible. We, we think the point of the Bible is to make us behave better. It's to turn us into better people and help us be better humans, but it's not. It's not. The point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus who can change our lives. And, and ultimately, true courageous faith comes not from putting your faith, not, it comes only from putting your faith in the one who defeated death. Because once you're no longer afraid of death, what do you have to fear? Here's the thing, if you're down, if you're defeated, if you're depressed, Jesus wants to work in your life and he wants to give you a new heart. Ezekiel 36 says this, God promises, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. How many of you feel like you've got a heart of stone this morning? God promises that he will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and I will move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is a promise from God. Man, when we are caught in sin, when we are feeling guilty, when we are uh, in the middle of something in a dilemma, we don't know how to get out of. God says, I wanna take your heart of stone out of you. I, I, not I wanna make you better. I wanna teach you how to behave. He says, I wanna take your heart of stone and I wanna throw it away and I wanna give you a heart of flesh and I wanna put my spirit on you and my spirit is gonna lead you and guide you and he will show you how to behave, but it's not about your behavior. I wanna make you a new person. That's what God wants to do for all of us. This is a promise from God, the God who made you, the God who loves you, the one who is sovereign in every situation, who wants you to have courageous faith, the one who sent his son Jesus for us. And because he did that, we can be forgiven for all the ways, for all the ways that we don't measure up to God's standards. Guys, I fall short of God's standards every day of my life. But God's given me a new heart. He's given me the right to be called a child of God. He's given you. If you've made that decision to make Christ the center of your life, he's given you the right to be called a child of God. And you know what? No one pressured him to do it. Jesus did it willingly. He made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, and then he died in our place. He took the punishment that I deserved. He took the punishment that you deserved. And now he stands not at the throne of Xerxes, but stands alone as the true king of kings at the throne of the one true God. What awesome truth. What a powerful promise for you and me today. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you are not content to let us live with our hearts of stone. Lord, that it's your desire that we come to you, that we come to you for rest, that we come to you for re redemption and restoration, that we come to you and your promise is that you will give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone, that you will put your spirit on us 
God, there are so many times and so many places in our lives where we need your spirit. We need your spirit to take us where we, we're afraid to go. We need your spirit to take us where it's hard. We need your spirit to lead us, to comfort us, to guide us. Lord, what a great promise. What a powerful promise you've given us. What an amazing name, the name of Jesus. I thank you for him this morning. In his name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to close with just one more.